We always have a blast chatting with our guests about all sorts of different topics, but sometimes we go off the rails and dig deeper into their automotive and motorsports pasts. As a bonus, let's go behind the scenes with this pit stop minisode for some extra content that didn't quite fit in the main episode. Sit back, enjoy, and remember to like, subscribe, and support BrakeFix on Patreon. That's going to be the title of this episode. What's the plan? What's the plan? <laughs> with Brock. <laughs> My big thing with iRacing, if I can get on my soapbox for just a moment, <laughs> is iRacing still the best? And what about some of the competing products out there, like Assetto Corsa Competizione and some of the other sims that exist on the market? The experience is probably one of the best. And I say that with a little bit of hesitation because I think it could be better. The graphics are not great. The menu system is extremely complicated. The tuning mechanism is just to the point of complete exasperation. Like if you just want to arrive and drive, iRacing is not for you. With so much sim experience under my belt, there's been a lot of programs that came before iRacing that were really cool. And we didn't really have the horsepower to capitalize on how good they could have been. And they were abandoned just because of lack of interest and evolution and everything else. But you take something like ACC, Assetto Corsa, Competizione, not Assetto Corsa, which is like Forza, and you compare it to iRacing just from a sports car perspective. And I tell people all the time that are non-believers, go try it for yourself. The ACC experience is better. It is, but you're relegated to sports cars. You have to be into endurance racing. You have to be into that. Whereas iRacing gives you more of a palette to choose from, I guess you would say. Let's kind of level set for people because for those of us that are really into iRacing, you can apologize for it all day long. You know, you can justify it, you can rationalize it. But in reality, let's talk about some of the things that it misses from real life. Of course, nothing's going to be perfect. Oh, yeah. You can only take so much. I mean, we saw it last year with Formula One with the Mercedes W13. They didn't know it was going to porpoise because they couldn't simulate that stuff in sims. So it caught them by surprise. So sims, it's not the fix-all, end-all, etc. You can't do everything on a sim. And there's obviously room for improvement for both. A set of Corsa could add some stock cars or some dirt stuff and iRacing could take a better focus into some of the more visual and also simplification of their tuning and their setup building process as well they're both good sims and it's all dependent on what you enjoy as a driver and what you enjoy as a fan as well now that i'm getting into some more sports car stuff i might go back to acc because when i tried it the first time I wasn't a sports car driver. I didn't understand it, didn't understand how to drive it. So I just kind of messed around, flipped a couple cars and then was like, all right, I'm done. Being able to have that experience both ways and being kind of level headed about it and saying you can do whatever you want with it. It's just a realm of freedom, you know? So I think both Sims definitely have a lot to work on, but with more powerful computers and more powerful simulation abilities, we don't know where we could be in the next two or three years, Assetto Corsa and iRacing could be the best Sims flat out, hands down, no questions asked. But 
there's always going to be something better in the form of something else. So for me, iRacing is the best sim just because it has what I want. It has the creatability that I want and it overcomplicates things. So I understand it a little more because if, for me, simplification is my worst enemy. I can't oversimplify something because I'll forget how to do it. If I make it complicated, I have to make that checklist. And I don't know, I, maybe that's me trying to find a, a silver lining with the overcomplication, but I enjoy it. But I also feel like that's where it separates the wheat from the chaff. If you want to jump in and create spec racing in the virtual world, you have to simplify it because I don't have the time. I'm making a gross generalization for a lot of other people <laughs> to sit down and build specs or build tunes or whatever for these cars. So you're always going to run back of the pack because you're not willing to sit down and do the math and take the extra effort that it takes to put out a build. You jump into something like ACC and the tuning is limited. And now a Ferrari is a Ferrari is a Ferrari <laughs> in GT3 against cars that are basically BOP'd. I don't see a real BOP in iRacing, although I'm not a fan of balance or performance in real life. It makes sense in the sim world because in the old days it was pay to win, right? Yeah. The guy with the most money always won the race because he either had a cheater tune or he was buying his way up for the best mods all this kind of stuff so the gaming world it's still present in iRacing I've seen it myself I did a couple of years of iRacing on and off it left a bittersweet taste in my mouth where on other platforms I found it to just be simpler the experience was more rewarding I didn't have to spend a ton of money and time in the trenches to get away from what I like to call turn one chaos <laughs> or all the non-drivers right the people that are just out there creating hacks because I hear once you cross this threshold, it, it suddenly iRacing gets so much better. Yeah, because we, you're with the upper echelon of drivers, but how much time do you want to spend in the trenches doing that? Yeah, and, and that's a good point. And I think the main downfall that always sticks out to me for iRacing is it's pretty expensive. You know, you got to pay for your subscription every year and then you got to pay for all these tracks and cars and stuff. So that's my only downfall with it just by using it so long. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a business person in any means. So I don't know why everything's so expensive. And I don't know if it needs to be that expensive. But I do know that they have those fixed series. You know, we've got our A fix, B fix, C fix in the iRacing stuff. The lower levels are normally fixed setups. So you can't really do much. And then once you cross the threshold, as you called it, then you have two directions. You can go with each echelon of racing. You can go stick with the fixed side where you Everything is fixed and it's purely being able to drive the car, adapt throughout the race. And then you have the open side, which is the more publicized side where you're able to make that strategic change to the car, put more toe, camber, put more wedge in it, all that kind of stuff. So it does kind of give you the two different ways to put it. It's also you got to get there. That's kind of where it separates the people that are willing to stick it out and the people that are wanting to do it versus the people that are there just to have fun and not <laughs> race. And you're 100% right. There's different routes to all these video games. If you kind of look at it like a family tree, there are certain physics engines that have existed for a very long time. Yeah. And so iRacing is one of the newer ones. Codemasters has been around forever, and they're always the dark horse that we forget about. And they have their tentacles wrapped around things like Formula One's official video <laughs> game and WRC and things like that. And then you have the Simbin vein, which was like GTR and Project Cars and all that stuff that came out out of that lineage, when you look at it, 
I often wonder, there's been a lot of mergers happening. Like there's a lot of titles that don't exist anymore. A lot of them have folded up underneath of, let's say, electronic arts and things Mm -hmm. like that, which they go back years and years too, in terms of physics engines with cars from the Need for Speed series, which started in the 90s on the PCs and whatnot. So this isn't new for them. But again, when you look at iRacing as a polished product, you see the latest Gran Turismo come out, the latest Forza come out, and you look at the price to your point, the barrier of entry is cost. But you're saying subscribership is up, laps are up. There's this weird economy here where it's like, does it really need to be this expensive? Granted, the new Forza Motorsport will come out eventually. It's going to be a hundred bucks, but it's a 4K product. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, if you trace iRacing routes back, they go all the way back to the Polaris times with the NR2003, that kind of stuff, the NASCAR side anyway. And then EA got the exclusive rights for a while. And that's when I got introduced into the esports. Well, esports, I was, you know, three months old. (laughs) But my first video game I played was the EA Sports NASCAR Thunder 2003. And then I've kind of gone from there. I've always wanted iRacing, always wanted to try it and see what it felt like, got the opportunity, liked it, and went for it. Now, the subscription I pay for is 100 bucks a year. So that's essentially buying the newest Call of Duty game or the newest Forza game or whatever every year. Attacking that for just a second. <laughs> How much have you spent on your rig? That's a different story. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't buy this rig right off the bat. I had an old... Gosh, It was a Logitech wheel with a Gran Turismo logo on it that is older than me. So it was at least 21 years old now because I'm 20 and we had that before me. And I raced on a school desk with a yellow Fisher Price chair probably until I was 10. And then finally I I moved up into iRacing and I still race on that desk with (laughs) a Tony Stewart recliner was my seat of choice. After I got into iRacing fully for about a year and a half, I spent two hundred dollars on my uh, Thrustmaster t150 which i still have to this day that's survived about four and a half years now and now that i've gotten more into it and starting to kind of try to go professional and more on that esports level the rig chassis is obviously going to be expensive i think i spent 300 on that and then i'm starting to try to get some fanatech stuff so the higher up you go the more you're going to (laughs) spend that's something that you can't necessarily uh, get away from And you can't excuse that. But it is what it is in the sense of the pedals I have. I had the the Fanatec Club Sport V3s that I literally just plugged in yesterday. They have the vibrating pedals on the gas and brake. So you can feel that tire chatter, the things that you've said you couldn't feel through that kind of first stint of eye racing that you did. Well, now I can feel when the back end is sliding and feel when the brakes are locking up and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, there's money in it for sure. But it doesn't have to be. I could still be running on my 20-year-old wheel with a crappy computer and a desk. It depends upon how serious you want to take it. See, and I think that's where my hang-up is. I didn't but turn maybe a couple laps in the oval side of the house, and it's never really been my thing. I've either gravitated towards WRC or endurance sports car. And so the endurance sports car side of iRacing, I felt was pretty lacking. And having to start... With spec Miatas, which I've personally (laughs) driven the experience. I was like, this Miata doesn't handle like this in real life. I can go through this turn at Summit Point flat out. And I don't need to sit here and do all this crazy stuff (laughs) to make it happen. Even a stock Miata from the factory handles better than they do in iRacing. And stuff like that just drove me crazy. 
And one of my litmus tests is Watkins Glen. I have so many laps at Watkins Glen. I use it to compare games. And most of the sports car related games, whether it's Forza or Gran Turismo, ACC, I recently all have Watkins Glen. And to be honest with you, the best experience I've had so far is when ACC finally released the Glen. It's like you could really tell they nailed it. The physics is right, but they cater to the sports car GT3, GT4 market. And so they've got all that dialed in. So again, I'm comparing not necessarily apples to apples, it's sort of apples to oranges because I'm not really on the popular side of iRacing, although it exists and there's plenty of races, like you said, the 24 hours of Daytona, you know, and things like that. Real quick, I wanted to touch back on something real quick. You mentioned, uh, Eric, like the top 10 games they listed. Do you think any of that has to do with the fact that a lot of those are console-based compared to computer-based, although they are available on computers as well as to possibly why some of the iRacing is not as popular or common? Don't open up this PC Master Race Pandora's box on us now. <laughs> I'll, I'll entertain it for a second. I definitely think there is some PC versus console. I wouldn't call it bias, but it's definitely there. I know that a couple of those games on the list are only PC. I think League of Legends is PC only. There's definitely the availability of your PCs versus your consoles is drastically different. Not everybody's going to go out and spend the money on a gaming PC. You might go out and buy your Xbox X or your PlayStation 5 because it's something you're going to use. And it's something that, you know, another five, six years you'll get rid of. And I think there's a little bit of bias in the gaming world when it comes to Xbox and the console stuff versus the PC stuff. But I just think there's just a lot of those titles out there. You ask somebody if you want to drive a car around in a circle for three hours versus go play Call of Duty, majority of the population nowadays is going to go play Call of Duty. But <laughs> if the iRacing guys were to capitalize on the new systems, the PS5 and the Xbox X and the compute power that is it, they're like supercomputers compared <laughs> to the old days and probably a lot of the gaming rigs we have on our desk that yeah. we've spent thousands of dollars upon, the Xbox X blows them out of the water. Why can't they develop a version of iRacing that runs on the Xbox? It can handle it and then some... But I think a big asterisk there is in order to gain the audience, nobody wants to buy a game that looks like iRacing, that plays on a console that's like 8K capable. <laughs> There's some truth to that. They look like they're trying to do it because they released their World of Outlaws dirt game on PlayStation. And I think it might be on Xbox as well, which is through the iRacing engine. And it's almost like a, a pilot to see who's going to be interested in something like that, which is possible. And I hope one day it is because that would be awesome. Even though I think a few of the people that are strictly console players might have a bit of a learning curve ahead of them. <laughs> if that were to happen and if those two worlds meshed, we could maybe see iRacing, I don't know, I wouldn't say top five, but definitely in the top 10. There's also the economics dynamic there, right? Whereas if you get it through Microsoft, you've already paid for their subscription. So now they've got a broker, all that on the back end with iRacing, and it doesn't line up with their cost model. So yeah. that makes it super complicated too. But in a fantasy world, to your point, it would be cool to see iRacing running on an Xbox because what does your steering wheel and pedal box care? It's connected to a computer. All that stuff is built in. It can handle it because those same pedal boxes and steering wheels are oftentimes used on other games on console so there's a lot of good crossover there yeah my thrustmaster is actually built for the ps4 and the ps3 and it works great on iRacing and i know a lot of the fanatech stuff is ps5 ps4 
4 and then Xbox compatible. So there's a lot of compatibility except for the games. And yeah, I'd love to see any of the Sims, really. A set of Corsa get on a console because a lot of the computing power is, like you were saying, is so good that we could have 8K, 4K racing without having those huge processors and graphics cards and RAM and all that kind of stuff that you have to have on the PCs. One quick thing you mentioned is like a lot of the iRacers get really offended if you call it a video game. That's why I do it. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up, like for me, simulators, like there wasn't many racing simulators growing up, but there were flight simulators. Yeah. And it's funny because I look back at the ones like Chuck Yeager flight simulator. I used to love playing as a kid. That was one of my things where I always enjoyed aviation, but never got into it till I joined the military. You look at the quality of the simulators then look like the cheap video games now. And I wonder if it's the fact that our video games have improved so drastically with the graphics and the just the technology in general. I wonder if that's why so many people think that it's just a video game and not a simulator because they don't realize on the back end how much of the mechanics go into be a simulation and not just a video game. I think a lot of people don't realize how much technology is actually in not only iRacing, but most of these high-end simulators. A lot of people look at your Gran Turismo, your Need for Speed, your car video games and go, well, that must be everything because they all look very similar. They all have slightly different graphics and slightly different physics engines, but they all look just to an untrained eye quite similar in performance and things like that. And they don't understand that these Sims are as close to real life as you can get without spending 15 grand on a Miata. (laughs) I think a lot of people take that to heart and kind of wear it as a patch of honor that if you race on this, you're racing on a simulator. It's something that is built not to entertain, but to engineer well there's a compromise there too with compute so to have 8k graphics you probably have to give up on the computations needed to satisfy the physics engine and so iRacing's physics engine is extremely complicated and so you forego the graphics and that's why it ends up looking like xbox 360 stuff (laughs) there's a compromise there and that's why i think acc does a pretty good job of straddling the line between the two i would never qualify that as a video game or a simcade it's definitely a simulator and especially in the way it operates you'd almost need two boxes to do it right in some ways one to hand offload the the front end and one to do the back end if you were going to do it with a console although we talked about you know how to do that with an xbox it has tons of compute in it on a totally separate thought i was thinking about where ice i racing came from and you mentioned you know the nascar games and the indycar games and i was wondering if it maybe stemmed even as far back as the old papyrus games from way back when yeah. I played those and they were a bear. <laughs> you had to tweak everything to get the car to barely go straight. That was frustrating back in the day for <laughs> sure. But again, there's only so many branches of the you know racing family tree when it comes to these platforms, to these titles. Let's call them what they are, right? If somebody were to map out the history of a lot of these games, it'd be really cool to see who influenced who, who picked up intellectual property and carried it through into the next evolution. The iRacing tree is a bit of a funky one. We kind of go up and down and sideways and turn it all around. But I think they might have done like a short film on like where they came from for their 10th year. Yeah, the papyrus and that kind of stuff. Sorry, it's a little before my time. (laughs) I'm old school. Yeah, man. I started with pole position, like the original (laughs) racing game. Okay. (laughs) But I mean, we go back and we look at things like that and we go, wow, those graphics are crap. (laughs) The raceability is crap. 
that's what makes me so excited for the future. 10, 15 years from now, the fact that Assetto Corsa and iRacing are going to be not good simulators if they don't continue to keep engineering and keep doing all these things, that excites the hell out of me. Because that means we're going to have some of the best simulators in the world because people like yourself aren't satisfied with what we have now. They know we can get more. Everybody knows it. So we're going to get there. And in five, 10 years, we're going to have something that doesn't look a darn thing like iRacing and something that doesn't drive like iRacing and something that doesn't have the tweakability, something that you can do completely differently. And it'll be so much better. And we'll look back on iRacing and go, why did we ever run that? Or we'll look back at a set of Corsa and go, how could we stand that? And how could we live like that? So I can't wait for five, six years from now. Uh, VR becoming a big thing. The real life flight simulators I've been from my military experience where you basically go into a closed container mm-hmm. that's set up on hydraulic rams. And when you're flying like the landing, and it'll jar and everything, almost like you're actually in the aircraft. And it feels very similar. Do you think that maybe in the future, like some of the rigs will be set up with like the hydraulic stuff and maybe potentially even go to where eventually be a VR headset. When you're looking, it's almost like you're looking out the windows of the car around you. We have that now. iRacing is VR compatible. It makes the graphics a little worse, which I know Eric is going to (laughs) be giggling in his chair about. It's VR compatible now. I personally don't like the VR. I like having a bigger monitor, I guess, maybe because I wear glasses and it's uncomfortable because things squish into my face and it's not great for me ergonomically. Well, I'm sure it's horrible for endurance races, too. Yeah, because then your face is all hot and sweaty and you got the red ring of shame around your face when you take it off. So I like my monitor. I like being able to know that I'm not in the sim. For wanting to be a race car driver, I get motion sick pretty easily. (laughs) Like if I'm riding in a car and not driving it, I'll get motion sick or car sick. But if I'm driving it, I won't. The VR kind of gives me that I'm not actually driving the car. It almost breaks immersion for me. Personally, I like to have just a full canopy monitor. That would be cool. Full canopy monitor on some hydraulics. We call them butt kickers. And basically it sticks to the bottom of your chair and it vibrates when the car is sliding and stuff like that. So that kind of stuff is what I would want. I wouldn't want to go on the VR stuff, though. Assetto Corsa is fully Oculus capable, which I haven't tested yet. I have a buddy that has one. I am quite curious to try it out, as a matter of fact, because I do want to see what that experience is like versus, you know, just staring at a regular screen. screen. On the other side, you know, I mentioned before, Codemasters is always kind of hanging out in the dark. You know, that was a weird merger there, too. They bought Mad Game Racing, which is all Project Cars. The other one is, what is it, Kyloton? that does the FIA WRC series. And I was reading that, you know, WRC 10 came out in 2021 and there hasn't been another release since, which is kind of strange. And it also has a hyper precise physics engine and they claim it to be more of a simulator. And when you play it compared to like dirt or dirt rally, it is much more complicated. It's a lot more difficult, but they're saying WRC 11, if it ever releases is going to be the last one. They're like kind of closing their doors after that releases again, wonder who's going to absorb them. Where is that simulator engine for rally going to end up? That is one thing that iRacing is missing is that stage rally. We've got the rally cross and we've got some of the hill climb things like Mount Washington, but that's not a rally course. That's more of a hill climb. It would be interesting to see where that physics engine goes and where those go. iRacing lost IndyCar to... It's whoever makes the uh, R-Factor stuff. Image space, ISI. Yeah. Been around forever. 
which our factor was a splinter of Simbin way back when. So we lost them to them. So there's a bit of a lack of a, a sport, basically. So they might pick that up. So I don't know. It, it would be cool to have a stage rally in iRacing. I thought it would be cool. <laughs> you know, I have plans for everything, guys. So <laughs> I would love to see Monster Jam come into iRacing. That would just be cool. <laughs> that would yes. be pretty slick. Because, you know, iRacing, you can put any car on any track. We did a race with the Mercedes F1 car, the W12, around Dirt Bristol. How'd that turn out? The One of the funnest races I've ever driven. <laughs> so imagine, like, Gravedigger going around Silverstone or something like that. That would just be yeah. wicked. <laughs> the World of Outlaws game that they released, I've seen a couple of the advertisements for it. And if I recall correctly, it is an option on Xbox. I've been highly tempted to get it because... Like the World of Outlaws, I like the short dirt track races. That's where like NASCAR loses me because they're such long and more endurance based. The shorter races I really like, so I've been half tempted to pick it up and try it out. I haven't tried it yet because I don't have a console here and I I am not a dirt guy in that sense. I want to learn more about it, but sprint cars are scary and late models are hard to drive. I've heard a lot of good things about it. I've heard a couple negatives about it, but I think that's what you get with any new game. There's going to be a little bit of weird stuff going on. You haven't raced until you've done European super trucks. That's all oh I'm gosh. saying. Like the, the semis, the bobtails, yeah. that's where it's at, dude, where yeah. you got to manage the water in the <laughs> tank because the brakes are overheating and oh, it's insane. Yeah. I would just do that in a heartbeat. Those guys are kind of insane when they drive those. I'm like, what? Who would do that? Just who would do that? But it's, so, it's brilliant. Why wouldn't you do it? It's yeah, great. there's there's so many. Just things. another discipline of racing. That's all it is. So your question is all wrong, Brock. It's not why would you? It's like why, why, why wouldn't would, you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, you ever have those late nights when you're watching YouTube and eventually those like crash compilation 2023 comes up and then you get all these wicked wrecks and I, I always see those and like the whole cab comes off and it's just the chassis rolling it along and I'm like what. Where would he go? Where is he? He's in his egg crate. He's, He's in fine. his little egg crate. Don't worry about him. <laughs> You've done that in mechanical engineering. You know, yeah, the, the, drop yeah. the egg from the side of the building. It's the same thing. <laughs> I want to get your opinion, just for opinion's sake, on the Codemasters Evil Alliance. I'm sorry, Electronic Arts merger. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. It's tough. I was an EA kid. I grew up on the NASCAR titles that were all EA. I was that generation of console player. So I miss that. I like EA. EA has a bit of a soft spot, but it's not the greatest in the world. I'm not too familiar with it because I did kind of go away from it once EA stopped producing NASCAR titles. And, you know, I'm not a sports kid. I watch my football every once in a while because I have to but I don't play soccer. I don't play football. I don't do that kind of stuff. So I stopped paying attention to EA. I didn't really hear about it until, what, 20 minutes ago? <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I'd have to do some research about it until I said some things on it. But I don't know. Mergers happen. Unfortunately, business is business. So whether or not it's for the money or for the product, we'll see. With how most video game companies have been going, it's more for the money and less for the product. So We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really curious to see how it affects the next version of Horizon more mm -hmm. than anything. And I know that's totally out of scope for the conversation <laughs> because that we're talking arcade. It's like OutRun. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, 
only because a lot of people don't realize that Playground Gamers is a collaboration between Turn 10 and Codemasters and Microsoft obviously sponsored both of them to make Horizon happen. Yeah. And you could see it in the first versions of Horizon. It was all Codemasters UI that was lifted from dirt or one of their other series like Grid, you know, Forza Physics Engine making it all work. And so it was a recipe for success. It was an amazing game, great soundtrack. If you just wanted to do open world driving, like the old test drive series from way back when, it was reimagined and it was fantastic. But now with EA and their weird rights to things like licensing Porsche and stuff like that, which has always been a battle for Forza and for Gran Turismo. Why are there never Porsches? Why isn't there this? Why isn't that? Because EA owns the rights to all that kind of stuff for like the next 20 years or whatever it is. It's sort of become a little crazy when you think about that merger and the contracts that Codemaster has with the FIA to be the official game of Formula One, right? F1 2023 is supposed to come out, but it's like under whose flag? People think video games are so simple. And then you look at the inner workings, not necessarily the technology side, the but politics, the, the politics and the people. It's like, man, it, it's so hard to follow. And I mean, in the end, Maybe some people win, but most of the time, the people that are actually playing those games are the losers in that, which sucks because I remember I got an Xbox S, I think it was. It was like the generation before this newest one. I got it only because I wanted to play Forza because I had never played it before. I was a PS kid that grew up on PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, had Gran Turismo 5 through Sport, never played a Forza game. So I bought it. For that reason, I was like, oh, hey, a Porsche. <laughs> and, and kind of the, I'd never realized that they had the roughs, but not the Porsches. And I was like, why is that? So being able to experience both worlds, it it's nice. I really hope that it comes out and it doesn't kill a title because one bad game, the NASCAR world saw it with uh, NASCAR Heat. The first NASCAR Heat that came out 2016 was terrible. And it wasn't good and people stopped playing it and people stopped buying them. And now we've got whatever motorsports games is pushing out, which isn't very good either. It's tough to be a, a motorsports fan and play video games because for not being in the top 10 of esports, it's such a competitive scene that one wrong move and you've killed an entire sports title franchise. So I hope it works out. Like you were talking earlier for the fact that you hadn't tried various different ones and this is just me thinking outside the box. The ideal thing would be there'd be one game where we could do any discipline, whether it be, you know, NASCAR, World of Outlaws, you know, road course, endurance racing. It'd be nice if there was one game or simulated to do all of those things. But there's so many other intricacies that it'll probably never happen. And especially like Eric was mentioning with all the licensing aspects, that alone becomes a nightmare to make any of it possible. And then at the same time, then it comes to the penny pinchers that they're not going to do it because they want all the individual games for each genre of racing. Well, I think 10 years ago, that was the initial intent of iRacing was to be one ring that rules them all sort of deal. But the problem is what you learn in developing code is after a while you get lazy, you start to templatize things, you start to do, well, this is good enough because it's front engine rear drive. So all front engine <laughs> rear drive base setups are sort of the same. You get these things like Forza, 850 cars. Yeah, of which 
they're all the same 10 cars underneath with different skins on top of them. And that's what you run into on every one of these, whether it's the best simulator on the planet or otherwise, sometimes it's just aesthetics over top of a base set of computations. And so it's difficult to hone in on the intricacies between let's just say something as simple as the C6R, the C7R, and then you make a drastic jump to the C8. So you start to question and say, well, well, how do they build this base framework underneath? How does it really work? And that's where I lose interest in games where it's like 9,000 cars and I have to spend 9,000 hours to tune a C8R to handle like a C8R, which I'm assuming handles a certain way in real life based on experience, either coaching in the right seat or, you know, driving one or whatever. And so that's difficult. Whereas, you know, going back to that us versus them, iRacing versus ACC. ACC has a much more limited number of cars, but a 911 and a Ferrari and a Benz are not the same. And you can tell when you drive them in the game that they're not the same specs under the hood, pun intended. Yeah, and I definitely have seen that. I feel like they're getting more towards the individuality of certain cars, but there's definitely tendencies of certain cars. You know, the AMG GT3 Evo that we run on iRacing is definitely a heck of a pusher in the middle of the corners. And it's the same thing with, let's say, the BMW M4. They both push the same type of ways. They're both front engine cars. They have the same tendencies. And I don't know if that's so much as setup or just that's what front engine cars do. I'm not 100% sure on the endurance championship side, but I do know that on the the NASCAR side of things, you know, the Xfinity car drives like an Xfinity car. The cup car drives a lot like the cup car. The truck drives very similar to the truck. All of those are very individual cars. But like you were saying earlier, they're individuals. There's only three of them with different skins on top of them. So I think there has to be a balance between having the eclectic group of race cars that everyone will want to drive and then also having the modeling and the temperamental attitudes of each car highlighted in the correct ways and not oversaturating the market as well. One of the other things that I feel like the simulators and even the games, you know, as much as they talk about laser scan, this and that, and all the other things is when it comes to elevation changes, that's very difficult to capture because a lot of times when laser scanning is done, it's being done, let's say from a vehicle in motion. And so everything is relative to the vehicle. So oftentimes it just seems really flat and you run VIR as an example, we just talked about it, or Watkins Glen, you're coming up out of the toe VIR, you're coming down through the roller coaster. When you see it in real life, you drive it in real life, you realize the game, you might as well be driving on a billiard table. It's that flat, even with simulated elevation, Lime Rock, Road Atlanta, and I've driven all these myself, Road Atlanta, you might as well be driving off the side of a building. That's how <laughs> steep it is. But in a game, you go flat out, you know, under the yellow marker out of coming out of 11 and you just stand on it in real life. That's a pucker moment because you can't see anything but sky. And when you come down, it's literally like coming down on a roller coaster and you better be in the right spot at the right time and hang the hell on. But you can't get that same feeling when you're on a simulator, no matter how good it is. Maybe that's my bias. I'm jaded because I've <laughs> driven these tracks in real life, but it's something that's irreplaceable. It's that experience. And to Dan's point, come out and try it. It can be expensive. There's a barrier <laughs> entry, but we tell people all the time, 
you don't need a full-fledged race car to go and enjoy turning laps at a track. Just like you were saying, you don't have to buy a Fanatec motion-activated rig to go simulation racing. The same is true of going real racing. That's a big point of the reason why I can pick and choose a couple things on Sebring is I haven't driven on it, but I have been driven on it. And I have that feel, even though it was a while ago, I still remember it and I still understand it. And going out and trying it, it's the same thing that I was saying with people who just think it's a game. Come try it. Come figure it out. Come understand that it's not a game. Go try real racing. Go ride in the car with somebody. Go get coached by somebody and understand it's not just driving around in circles, that there's points and so many different things that you have to watch for, not just what's directly in front of you. You got to look 100 yards in front of you to make sure the track is dry. There's nothing on the track. There's not a car going backwards on the track. You got to make sure that everything's good. So that's like a bucket list item is to drive a car on a track, just doing it. I'm going to get heads up. It is addictive and you'll want to do it a lot more. <laughs> and you'll time. be terrible at it, you know? Oh so yeah. It's okay. And that's the beautiful thing about it is in the sim world, you can pick up a bunch of different cars and they may drive similar or they may not. And you'll be trash at them. I could not run three laps at Daytona, a track that I have run many times in many different cars with that new BMW. I couldn't. The power, the downforce, it was all very, very different. So I didn't understand it. And, you know, you put the time in, you put the effort in, and 24 hours into a race, you realize, hey, we just did 400 and some odd laps without killing ourselves too much. And a month ago, I couldn't turn a lap. So it's the ability to pick up on things and understand that mistakes are okay, but not major mistakes. Make minimal mistakes. <laughs> In real life, the little ones and the big ones. They add <laughs> Every, really everything's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where the sim stuff kind of helps because I can make those major mistakes. Your safety rating goes down. Whoopie yeah, baby, just you know? a little bit. <laughs> 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 you know, if you ever want to, have a revisit to the plan. I'll be sure to make some time up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you know, if you ever want old guys screaming at the clouds to come on your show, <laughs> yeah, you're more than welcome to. Absolutely, it. absolutely. I think that's. I think that's it. <laughs> go team twenty four. <laughs> yeah, go team twenty four. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed another awesome episode of Break Fix Podcast brought to you by Grand Tory Motorsports. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or get involved, be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Grand Touring Motorsports. And if you'd like to learn more about the content of this episode, be sure to check out the follow-on article at gtmotorsports.org. We remain a commercial-free and no annual fees organization through our sponsors, but also through the generous support of our fans, families, and friends through Patreon. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can get access to more behind-the-scenes action, additional pit stop minisodes, and other VIP goodies, as well as keeping our team of creators fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gumby Bears, and Monster. So consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without you, none of this would be possible.